My name is Anthony Cabasa. I am in Los Angeles, California, and my mother is from Ensenada, Mexico, and my dad's from Puerto Rico. I am a Latino man. I am a proud son of an immigrant. I'm a proud American. I've served my country honorably. I've yet to see anything that holds me back just because I am Latino. And I refuse to accept that narrative. My mother, she's been an amazing fighter all of her life. She came from a very small town in Ensenada, Mexico, a little pueblo. And when she got here, she was already very determined to make a new life for herself. She was very determined to reach that American dream, right, that we all talk about. Uh, my older sister, uh, I was actually born in Mexico, so I was actually the first one to be born here in America. And my two younger brothers were also born in Los Angeles, California, and all of us lived under my mother's roof growing up. The chancla. The chancla is very well known to the Hispanic community. This is what your mom would whoop you with. <laughs> and a lot of them say made in Mexico, so there's like an ongoing joke that a lot of uh, Hispanic kids have made in Mexico on their buttocks. <laughs> The one thing that I would say really is the reason why I am here today or why I am the man that I am is because she was a strong mother and a strong father. She had to play both roles. And I think that that's a story with a lot of us uh, in the Hispanic or Latino cultures. Unfortunately, uh, when I was three, my father left my mom and it's kind of been us just on our own since then. A lot of us suffered through the same things. A lot of us didn't have the nuclear family, they didn't have fathers, or we probably had fathers that uh, were drunks or drug addicts or were even in jail. I had a lot of friends like that. And there was a point in time where I just thought to myself, I'm either gonna end up just like these people's fathers, uh, you know, in jail or a drug addict or an alcoholic or hanging out with the wrong crew, or I can make a difference. I can choose to not be part of that statistic. So I knew at that time that I wanted to be with my girlfriend uh, and that we wanted to have a serious relationship. And I knew that I was gonna need a job that was gonna be able to provide for the both of us. And that is when I looked to enlist into the United States Coast Guard. When I was stationed in San Diego at the border of Tijuana and San Diego, uh, I was a cook, you know, I would cook for the crew. Day to day would be, you know, waking up early in the morning. We do a lot of search and rescues. We do boardings on foreign vessels that are trying to enter the U.S. ports. And we also do a lot of anti-human trafficking and a lot of anti-cartel. What a normal operation would look like if we know we're going into a scenario where we're gonna be apprehending the illegal migrants is that we know that they're also gonna be carrying drugs. They don't waste any opportunities. If they know they can get through, they're gonna traffic both humans and drugs alike. There'd be a lot of times where, you know, we would detain these drug traffickers and I would tell them, you know, they would open up to me and I would tell them, hey, why are you guys doing this? Why, why would you guys risk your life and risk years of jail? If, if some of you are telling me you have families, why would you risk this? We would have them tell me basically that they're doing this because a family member was kidnapped by the cartel and this is the way to receive the family member back. It really just kind of broke my heart to see that I know for a fact that kidnapping is big in Mexico. That's actually one of the main ways the cartel makes their money is by kidnapping people and having their families pay a fee to, to get them back. I'll 
never forget there was a time, I believe it was 2009, and we were out in international waters and we apprehended uh, drug runners and we had seized, I mean, thousands and thousands of, of, of drugs, of pounds of drugs. And as a cook, uh, you know, and as, and as a Spanish translator, I was, I was the one that actually gave them their food. And so I, I just remember seeing their, their nonchalant, like non-care, like they don't care that they were detained. And I was just kind of interested that they're laughing and having a good time. And I asked them like, can I ask you guys something? Like, why is it that you guys don't seem to care that you guys were just detained for thousands of dollars worth of drugs? And they just basically said, because we'll be out as soon as you turn us in. Dude, we're gonna go back to Mexico. The cartel owns the lawyers. They own the jails. They own the police. It's like, we'll walk in. Our lawyer will come bail us out or the cartel that hired us. They'll pay money to get bail us out. And they're just, and we're just gonna be able to walk out and you'll probably see us again in six months. I'll never forget that day because it, it really made, opened my eyes to this flawed system that it's not working, that we, you know, we pride ourselves as Coast Guardsmen to go and apprehend these bad guys, but then these bad guys go right back to their country and they're, and they're set free. I think that the narrative that the mainstream media is portraying is that what's happening at the border is racist, that what's happening at the border is just anti-immigrant or anti-brown people. And I think that this is very far from the truth. I was there, I was a Spanish interpreter at the border uh, for many years, and I witnessed firsthand what's really going on there, the human trafficking, the drug trafficking. In my experience, in over a decade of working in Department of Homeland Security and U.S. Coast Guard, I have never witnessed or seen any maltreatment of any illegal immigrant. We always tended to the, you know, the undocumented people or these migrants with dignity and respect. Uh, they were never abused that I witnessed. And whenever I helped in their translative services, uh, they never told me that they were being treated badly by other people that I worked with. I understand that people are wanting a better life, but there's a right way to do it. And by doing it the illegal way, you're opening up yourself to being exploited. The people that are advocating for, you know, less border security or open borders, they just don't understand what's happening at, at the border. When I got politically active uh, back in 2017, I, my sole focus was to educate, especially the Hispanic community, being Hispanic myself. And I won't forget that uh, last year, 2019, I had talked and reached out to Univision. When, when we first sat down with the top executives at Univision, they just kind of wanted to get a feel for who I was. And they heard my story and they thought that it was great, you know, being a veteran, serving my country, being a son of an immigrant mother that was involved of, in politics. They're like, great, this is the perfect fit for a radio show. And I think that once I kind of showed them who I really was, um, after that, I never really received a phone call. They thanked me for my time and they said, thank you, but no thank you. And I've had a lot of, uh, interviews that I've been buried. And so I go on debates and sometimes those debates are, are you know, uh, recorded by Univision or Telemundo. And then they call me back and tell me that the uh, sound is faulty or they tell me that uh, they lost the footage somehow because they cannot have a conservative Latino speaking on their platform, making a voice and, and kind of helping people realize, hey, us Latinos, we're a lot more conservative than we think. I think that there's a misconception that conservative automatically means you're Republican. It doesn't. Uh, 
Conservative is a lifestyle, it's tradition, it's what's handed to you from generation to generation. Isn't this what Hispanics preach? Family values? About being proud of where we came from, of who we are as a people? Since when are we for this ultra-progressive agenda that's being put out for us? We don't stand for that. We don't stand for abortion. We just stand for these policies that are very progressive and anti-Christian, anti-Catholic, which is part of who we are. We don't forget where we're from. We don't forget our religion. We don't forget our, the, the values and the morals that have been instilled with us from generation to generation. Remember who you are. Remember what your abuelito and your abuelita taught you. Remember that we serve a God that is bigger than any government. Stick with the way you were upraised and you will see that you've probably been voting wrong in almost every way. A funny story is that one of my cousins, he's very liberal, very progressive. I believe this was 2018 when we were voting in for the governor of California. And so, you know, he was telling me, you're crazy for voting this way. These are the people that really care about us. The left really cares about us, man, this, this, and that. And I try to tell him, I try to tell him, cuz, I love you, but you, you, these are the policies that you're voting in. He's like, ah, oh, they always talk about raising taxes, but they're not really gonna do it, man. Like, and if they do, it's for the children, like the schools, and this, this, and that. And so the election goes by, his candidate wins, I, okay, it fares fair, you know, fair election process. And I remember him contact me a couple months later and he's extremely upset that his rent went up and he's very upset that his gas prices went up. And he called me and he's like, what, I don't get it. They just raised rent, they just raised taxes on me. What can we do? Like, I'm ready to move to Arizona. And I'm like, no. You do not get to flee California. You voted for this, now you get to stay here and suffer the consequences. This is what you wanted, now you get to pay. And I was like, so you don't get to just flee. I said, now you must live with this, you know? So, <laughs> it's pretty funny. There was a time in my life where I really hit rock bottom. And um, this was in 2007. Uh, my firstborn is actually a twin. So my son, his name is Hector. He just turned 13 years old. And, you know, he had a twin brother, Gabriel. And at six months, I'll, I'll never forget the day, um, I was working on base. So the supervisor that was there, he came, he's like, hey man, you need to get down to the hospital. And, and you know, you need to go, you need to go now, if, like something's happening with your family. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know, something happened with one of your twin boys. Uh, I remember showing up in my uniform to the hospital where my wife was transferred with my son Gabriel. And apparently he was, he was having like complications, breathing or something. Uh, we, you know, we came up to like a waiting room. The doctor came out of that room and she's like, are you the father? And I'm like, I am. And she's like, let's come and sit down for a second. And I was like, Okay, like what's going on? She started tearing up and she was like, you know, um, I, I have to tell you before you go in there, but um, your son Kiro's passed away. And, uh, you know, she, she, the doctor led me inside and, and in there, like it was just her. She was in her pajamas because this happened early in the morning. And she was holding my son, Gabriel. And uh, I just remember she, I mean, you know, a mother just lost her son. It was just the worst day of my life, really, you know. And, and I know that had I just blamed God for this situation, had I not chose to just say, you know what, God, I, I could be angry right now. I think it's normal for me to be angry at you, but 
I'm going to choose not to, I, you know. And and as I was thinking all of these things, uh, the door opened up and that same doctor came in and they brought in my son, Hector. And I just remember he had the biggest smile on his face. And I was just like, God, you knew what you were doing was sending me to. I just remember at that moment, I was like, I need to be strong for Hector. We need to be strong for Hector. I'm just glad that God has given me the discernment and the will to continue to lead my family every day since then. And I think that that's what really, A, makes us very pro-life, you know? Um, that I, I wish that um, this narrative would be taken away from the pro-abortion stuff, you know? And we, we went from something so, you know, maternal and, and so private to just celebrating it. And, and I just, I pray for all those people because I wish I could do anything to bring my son back. My faith has taught me that one day I will be reunited with my son. And that to me is very powerful. That to me, you know, if I didn't believe in anything, knowing that I lost my son and I'd never see him again, that is something that I'd be really sad about because I, I long the day that we're reunited. And I would say again that that is something so huge in the Hispanic community, is our faith in God. A lot of us identifying as Christian or Catholic, it's to kind of go back to that faith that has us where we are today. You know, and so I, I, that would be my message to a lot of the people is stop putting your trust so much on elected officials or people with empty promises or people just needing sound bites for a quick vote and then they forget about you the moment they're in office, but more faith in community and faith in God. And, and that would be my message to them. Being a Latino or whatever other label the left has for me, brown person, person of color. You know, when I get labeled these things and they're trying to convince me that I am just by default, because of the way I look or the way I speak or where I come from, that I'm already a victim, it's false. It's a false narrative. I am living proof, you know, I, I serve my country honorably. In one lifetime, I, you know, I have my wife, my three children that I'm very happy for and blessed with, and we've been able to buy a home. And I know that if I can do it, anyone can do it. There's nothing that I was born with. I wasn't born with a silver spoon. I, I grew up, you know, in Section 8 housing. To see that we came from that and see where I am today and to use this same system that people are saying are racist and that is, that is built to r be rigged against me as a person of color or as a Latino, uh, I've yet to see anything that holds me back just because I am Latino and I refuse to accept that narrative. Hey guys, Anthony Cabasa. If you enjoyed that content and you want that content to remain free, please consider making a tax deductible donation.